Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week we're discussing Star Trek, Strange New Worlds Season 1 episodes, Memento Mori and Spock Amok. I don't like either of these titles, but that's a silly criticism. At least we haven't gone to the Voyager level of one word titles starting with R, True. but it, it does feel like we're reproducing Voyager's problems all over again, nevertheless. I'm sure many, many people love Spock Amok. It's definitely a me thing to say that it's... Yeah, I'm at the point where I'm starting to feel like maybe the universe is just gaslighting me and everyone else is getting a much better version of Strange New Worlds. Either that or I have, like, extremely superior refined taste and Mm. everyone else is just... uh, (sighs) Pretend I said something really snobby there. I liked the episodes fine. I really enjoyed Memento Mori. It was fun, but also had a lot of tension. Yeah. And Spuckmuck, I just, I have many problems, but (laughs) I understand why people like it because it was just silly and fun and whatever. It was fine. There was nothing. Yeah. It was fine. It was mostly inoffensive. I really enjoyed Memento Mori. I was like, finally, we have an episode with substance. We have an episode with a lot of tension. I really enjoy the throwback to that TOS feeling of the universe is a dark and scary place and every Federation colony is really out there on their own and who knows what is out there. However, (laughs) I think it was Bad Socialism on Twitter who pointed out that in TOS, the Gorn were sort of a stand-in for Native Americans. And if Star Trek is the wagon train to the stars, then the Gorn are the Native Americans going, hey, you're actually on our land and we don't really appreciate that. So we're going to kill you, but please understand we actually have a good reason for it. We're not just doing this because we're savages and unknowable. And that was the whole point of Arena, which I rewatched last weekend. It was a very boring episode, but I loved the opening scene where they've been down to the planet and there's the survivor and, you know, the Gorn are the technological equals of the Federation. So it's not purely a Native American analog and just, Right up until the bit where the godlike aliens have to make Kirk fight the Gorn captain and the Enterprise crew is watching it on the view screen like it's an episode of Star Trek that they're talking through. I would watch Spock and McCoy's Star Trek podcast. I would definitely subscribe to that. But yeah, that subtext made the comments about the Gorn in Memento Mori much more unpleasant because I completely understand La'an's trauma and that La'an cannot forgive the Gorn for what they have done. I assume that we are going to make first contact or something with the Gorn and we're going to learn that they're people but I'm uncomfortable with the way Strange New Worlds has portrayed them especially with the bit in the first episode where La'an's like oh yeah they ate my family because Indigenous people as cannibals is such an old and racist and inaccurate stereotype. Although they wouldn't really be cannibals because they're Gorn. I know. So it's more like dinosaurs eating us. But it's intelligent dinosaurs. It's akin to Emperor Jojo eating Kelpians. So she's a problem. They're not literally cannibals, but they do eat people. A little weird. 
I don't know quite why they keep going to that then they ate us mm. well, because as you're saying, then it becomes harder to accept them not being the enemy mm. when we go to these disgust places. They're not just bad and evil and villains and on the wrong side or on the other side. Mm. They're eating us. It's another one of those, why are you making it so hard for yourself? People still haven't gotten over Giorgio and the Kelpians. Mm. Like they still hate her because of that, even though we had a whole episode about her learning the Kelpians matter. And Vogue and Laurel ate Giorgio's, prime Giorgio's body, which is more understandable given that it was a starvation situation. But it's like, okay, I read this really interesting book called Finding Eliza by an Aboriginal author named Larissa Berendt. And it's basically looking at the stories that settlers tell about Indigenous people and the Indigenous sides of those stories. And mm. she pointed out that in America, in Australia, in Africa, wherever Europeans go, they're just obsessed with this terror of being eaten. It's like this visceral thing that's really ingrained into the European psyche. It's used to justify all sorts of crimes against Indigenous people around the world. And so it's interesting and troubling to me that Star Trek keeps going here. Why does Alex Kurtzman fear that he's going to be eaten? Wait, that's what, what I was going to point out. It is definitely a modern Trek is being made by the same people. Yeah. And they keep using the same tropes and it's strange. It's a strange trope to be yes. fixated on. I assumed that it started because, you know, Discovery was initially helmed by Brian Fuller and he did Hannibal and he really likes that sort of extremely psychologically upsetting stuff. But why is it still here now? And while we're speaking about the, you know, wells they keep going back to, mm. we already knew that Laan's backstory was the same as Michael's backstory was the same as Worf's backstory. Mm. <laughs> but Why? I sort of liked it when it was Worf and Michael because the Klingons attacked Michael's yeah. colony and killed her parents. And then the Romulans attacked the Klingon colony mm. and killed Worf's. Like that was interesting to me as this ongoing who, who your enemy is changes and mm. who your friend is changes. And it's like a good, happy collective of Federated Planets type story. Right. But adding in, Laan's family was also <laughs> destroyed and eaten by the Gorn. Then it, it becomes, I mean, you said you liked this, and then it becomes that all of space is out to get us. Yes, but why is it out to get us in the same way? Why is it out to get us in the same way? Mm. Why are these rating the way that it's being presented, if we take these three happenstances, mm. it's that the Federation is the peaceful, nice, good colonizer, and everyone else is bad, is colonizing in the bad way of attacking and ruining. Where's the conversation about all of colonization is bad? Right. The Federation is just like, oh, this planet seems empty, so I guess it's our manifest destiny to drop some people on it. And... Okay. This goes back to a thought that I had way back when the first Strange New Worlds posters dropped and there was something about find the frontier or, or I can't remember what the text was on every character poster. But I looked at it and I went, that's colonizer speak. And 
It was addressed and dismissed way back in the very first episode of Deep Space Nine. Why are we regressing? We need to decolonize Star Trek, basically. And I think our first note in the outline here about Memorial Day Mm. and how that didn't happen until now (laughs) as well is notable. I think it's related. This is a thought that I've been having ever since I listened to The Greatest Generation guys covering Deep Space Nine because they would talk about how odd it was that there was no memorial for Wolf 359 and it was just an anniversary that Cisco grieved alone. And it struck me that this is something that's changed since 9-11, that America is much more strongly promoting these memorial holidays. And whether that's literally Memorial Day, as you guys have it, or Veterans Day, or September 11. And it's the same in Australia. We have gone fully gung-ho jingoism on Anzac Day. All of those, obviously, other than whatever September 11th day is, Mm. I don't celebrate. (laughs) But obviously, uh, Memorial Day and Veterans Day and Independence Day, of course, all predate 9-11 by many years. And parades and all of this nonsense that Mm, happens mm. on all of them certainly predate 9-11, but they weren't in Star Trek. Yes. There was that ridiculous episode where Kirk does the Pledge of Allegiance, Mm. but that was an outlier. That was just nonsense. That wasn't about American values and memorializing. It was different. About crazy admirals. I think in some ways that's what has changed since 9-11 from my perspective as an outsider, that it's less about memorializing loss and more about pushing that pro-American military agenda. Nationalism. Yeah. And like I said, Australia is doing it too. So you guys are totally not alone here. But what struck me is that we have Memorial Day in the Star Trek universe, but also it incorporates memorials of civilian ships that were lost and that I really liked Mm -hmm. that made it feel less like federation jingoism yeah it is interesting because like you said there wasn't one for wolf 359 Mm. but there is one in Picard like whatever happened on first contact day (laughs) I was just going to say they have have a whole celebration about that that's why he gives his interview like all of that was very 9-11 Remembrance Day kind of stuff Mm, going on. mm. And so it is definitely something that like is in modern Trek and was not in previous Treks. Yes. And I can absolutely see like Lower Decks featuring Wolf 359 Day and Mariner screwing it up Mm -hmm, by shouting mm -hmm. Picard did Wolf 359. (laughs) You have to pay her if that happens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Michael, (laughs) call me. We can work something out. (laughs) but yeah i liked the civilian memorializing aspect of it it Mm -hmm. made it less jingoistic and yeah aside from the racism i really enjoyed memento mori you know i love a submarine episode i thought of you when i thought of the gradation guys thank you thank you yes it was i was like oh i know what what beats they're gonna love about this whereas i of Mm. course love the line where it was like the federation doesn't see enemies we see opportunities <laughs> and i was like that's right good job federation but that being said mm-hmm. when they are enemies and certainly there's a difference between the federation and even captain pike as a representative of the federation treating the gorn as equals and peers mm-hmm. and not automatically enemies and laan a traumatized child <laughs> 
Yes. Whose entire community was wiped out. She's the sole survivor and they were eaten. Mm. Her big brother who she loved was eaten by the Gorn. She doesn't have to forgive them. The, the personal victims, they can be angry. Right. <laughs> that they can continue to have all of those very valid feelings about hating the Gorn. And right. I just want to put that out there as if this is not me going against my love all dragons stance. I'm saying there's a difference between my choice to love all dragons and La'an's choice to be very upset at the people who ate her family. Right. I don't think we're meant to take La'an at her word when she says that the Gorn don't deserve empathy. She is clearly not coming from a good place. Oh, absolutely not. Pike only pushes back gently because clearly he knows that is not going to do anything in this moment. But I don't think the show is endorsing her position. Mm -hmm. My fear is that we are going to learn that the Gorn are people and they have their own perspective and that will make La'an forgive them. That's my fear as well. I, I want her trauma to be treated with respect. I want her trauma to be dealt with and decoupled from the racism she has adopted as... A defense mechanism. I don't know how old she's supposed to be. I'm very bad with kids' ages, but I would say somewhere between 10 and 14. Quite young, old enough to comprehend what's happening, but too mm -hmm. young to deal with it with an adult's mind and experience. Yeah, you're definitely right about the response being a protective. Like, yeah, the, the, yeah. Her anger and her racism is protecting her because she needed it in that moment when she was a 10-year-old child. And it is protective because it's almost worse to think that your family were hunted and killed by people rather than monsters. That is really hard to deal with. And so I have a lot of empathy for La'an and I hope that she can come to extend empathy to the Gorn, but she doesn't have to forgive them. Mm -hmm. It's complicated and I think this is why racial allegories are bad. <laughs> Just putting that out there. <laughs> Putting that out there, you guys. Also because I, I worry sometimes that people don't get it, that they don't get the allegory, mm. that they only see it as this very black and white, us versus them. Yeah. And then read their own biases into that and put their own biases on top of that. Then the racial allegories become really problematic mm. because you have people understanding the story in a way that isn't what the writers intended and is entirely based on their own racial biases. Or I saw a lot of people sharing the I stand with Una graphic that Star Trek created after Ghosts of Illyria and I knew for a fact that these people who really support this nice white lady and her fake imaginary bigotry have said terrible things about the black women of Star Trek. So... I, I think in some ways an allegory is a cop-out and it lets you enjoy the story without confronting your own biases. And I do think allegory generally has a place, but the place is not 2022. <laughs> your note here, so many raiders, so many orphans. Was that in regards to Sarek's family building or just the uh, population of Starfleet? No, just the population of Starfleet. But I just, when you said it out loud, the way you said it, I was like, oh, that makes it sound like the raiders are, are gathering the orphans, mm, <laughs> not like mm. creating the orphans by, by raiding. They're like raiding and taking children. Look, That's not what I meant. The child's flesh is the most tender and delicious. It's like veal. Oh dear, oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> 
Antimatterpod comes out in favour of eating children. Arnica wishes to note that she is vegetarian. Say, <laughs> I do not. I do not come out in favour of eating children. Or dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. I do think the other visceral element of the Gorn that works really well is that they are cold-blooded. And again, mm. you consider the allegory, that's really yikes. But taking the story on a surface level, we as mammals have a really profound... I, I think there's something quite terrifying about the idea of a sentient... What's the word that means you're cold-blooded? A sentient lizard, I'm just gonna... Aren't Cardassians supposed to be... Yeah, yeah, but then Seska's like breastfeeding her child, so... Yeah, I, I, was, <laughs> I was gonna say, I never understood how the Cardassians were... I think Cardassians just reject the mammal-lizard binary. I really cannot remember the proper word. It's so embarrassing. It's okay. Mm. Reptile. That's it! Oh my gosh! <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, I, I can do it! <laughs> yes, Cardassians reject the mammal-reptile binary. And I'm happy for them. Arena is one of the handful of TOS episodes that I've watched multiple times on purpose. Mm. <laughs> Mainly because my child loved dinosaurs Fallon. and Spock. Those two things, Spock and I dinosaurs. <laughs> and so I, I said, hey, I, there's one episode where there's a dinosaur and Spock, so let's go watch it. But I agree with you that it is super boring if you don't have a small child there to create action and fun and mm. ongoing commentary. He could join the Spock and Bones podcast and it yes. would be great. But I do have this sort of nostalgic happy feeling about that episode of course and it is the what you think is your enemy is not your enemy trope that i love that is sort of my other concern that if it's not until kirk's era that yeah. the federation learns about the gorn then how can this plot line resolve in a satisfactory way it, it is concerning uh especially since the only people we've seen kirk who's not even in it until the second season, but mm. the only person we've seen Kirk interacting with in the second season is La'an. It's a little weird. It's a little yeah, like, yeah. what is being built up here? I want to know more. Honestly, if this was a whole season about Pike's Enterprise investigating raids on Federation colonies mm. and saving people and trying to learn about the Gorn and popping back to Starbase One for repairs and hijinks, I guess, I would be really into that. But overall, this so far feels like five episodes and four of them are the sort of filler that I skip. I know I'm alone in this. Everyone but us loves the filler episodes. I know. <laughs> it's... <laughs> okay, so can we talk about the, the second episode, Spock Amok, now? Yes. Can we... Yes. Go into my problems. My only, my only final <laughs> remark about Memento Mori is that it's horrifying that the Federation didn't do more to get psychological help for La'an, and this really interferes yeah. with my headcanon where Katrina Cornwell adopted her. Do, do I have to, to give my whole rant again about how no one is looking out after this child? They can't even use the, he was a Klingon, and so we're not going to take care of the Klingon baby, and it was the only Klingon Earth issue with Worf. Worf seems better adjusted than mm. La'an because mm. he had good parents. It's just troubling. <laughs> I, d I just don't understand. I don't understand why no one was taking care of La'an. No. Because she's still dealing with it. She clearly has a lot of, like she was having visions. 
She was in a post-traumatic stress. She's having flashbacks. It was happening. And so I'm concerned about her. And so segue yes. <laughs> into my main issue with Spock Amok yes. is that she's fine. Yes. And, and she shouldn't be. And it's so easy to fix this. It is so no. easy to fix this problem because all you have to do is make La'an focus on on Enterprise Bingo be avoiding dealing with her that, you know, Mabenga also... He has a stupid plot this episode too. So I would put Mabenga in that, in in my Mm -hmm. new plot for La'an. And he would be trying to get her to go see a therapist on Starbase One and discuss things and check in. Nothing on your record. We're not going to do anything to you. You're not being punished, but let's all, let's all talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And she would say, no, I have very important Mm -hmm. security things that I have to do. And Una would be like, don't worry, I'll take care of her. I'll watch her. And then they would do Enterprise Bingo and Bond and everything that happens would happen, but it would be about La'an dealing with her trauma in a different way instead of just ignoring that it ever happened. I'm so annoyed about that. But also, we learn in episode three that Una is in fact an alien pretending to be human. And... That seems to have been forgotten. She should also have to go talk to someone at Starbase right. One. Secretly. Like, Enterprise Bingo could have been Una realises that there's this whole facet of human nature that she has never, never seen the need to understand. And that's fine. She doesn't have a problem with it. But what if learning how to have fun made her a better leader? Because I feel like the Illyrians are all about self-improvement and that is part of Una's vibe. And then La'an is avoiding her trauma. And so together they do the shenanigans and they learn something about themselves. And they learn something about themselves and the shenanigans have a purpose beyond just being shenanigans. And I, I get it. It was a very easy, fun episode to watch. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it Mm. but I did not like it in the context of the series (laughs) in the context of the story that is being told and the characters that are being used to tell that story it just needed a little bit of work to be better and that was really frustrating and it's the Voyager problem and you know I love Voyager but Mm -hmm. I don't need a new Voyager in 2022 why are we reproducing the problems of the most mediocre Star Trek so I don't even, like, where in this list of things that I made do you want to go next? A happy Pride Month, everyone is heterosexual. <laughs> yes. All right. So this is how I was watching the show in the first, the opening scene with Ortegas and mm-hmm. Christine Chapel. Ortega's first name is Erica. So Erica and Christine mm. are at the bar and they're chatting and they're making plans or whatever. And they're reminiscing about other encounters that Chapel has had. And one of them was with a lady. A gal. It was very offhand. And to be fair, Christine Chapel did say the words, that was one time. <laughs> it really felt like we have a throwaway <laughs> line suggesting that this character is bisexual and the entire rest of the episode, including her interactions with other characters, are going to be about heterosexuality. And don't right. get me wrong, I enjoy heterosexuality, but I don't enjoy heteronormativity. If that's your, like, 
waving your hand at diversity mm. <laughs> and keep it. I am done with this. I want it to be clear. I don't want us to be arguing about this and people are arguing about it. Yeah. Tumblr is very convinced that Christine Chapel is bisexual, whereas Twitter is convinced that Spock is the only man she will ever love. Both of both those of things, things can be true. Have evidence in the episode, and right, both of those things can be true. And also, I don't need her to like have a whole coming out conversation mm. with Ortegas over hot chocolate or whatever. That is not what I'm asking for. I'm just saying, don't do the opening scene where we suggest that Christine Chapel is bisexual and then the final scene like not even the whole middle mm. I don't actually have a problem with because it was cute but the final scene we get back with Christine and Erica and Erica's like you know maybe someday you'll find someone you want to have a relationship with and Christine says it, it would have to be the right guy and it was like go. just don't yeah. say guy just like literally Person. use a gender neutral yeah. term and I am okay with everything else that happened. That's all I want. Right. And the thing is, there are so many different ways to be bisexual and they are all valid, but I don't think Star Trek has so many bisexual characters and I particularly don't trust Akiva Goldsman to explore a character who is bisexual but heteroromantic. Mm. Whereas something like Loki is the work of bisexual writers and directors who are telling their own story. So bisexual characters falling in love with someone of a different gender felt real. This felt Mm. tokenistic. And then the use of the right guy at the end really highlights how little they thought about this. It was, I don't want to say purely rainbow washing, but... At the end of Seven's first episode in Picard, mm. where they're just talking about the amazing pilot and they just use he. Yes. And it's like, it's not necessary. You don't have to do that. You can just not do that. You can choose to be better. Yeah. And I'm excited for Christine to be by. And I really love her chemistry with Spock. For the very first time in 50 odd years, I'm willing to ship it. But... I want them to think about what they're doing. And it's also because in this particular episode, it matters a little bit more because half the time she was spending with Spock, she was spending with Spock in a woman's body. So there are like more layers to this. And I want to, I would have rather seen an exploration of that than, Mm. I don't know. It just seems like it was a missed opportunity. And instead, we just get Christine and Ortega's act out sex in the starship. It felt like that. That's how it felt to me. It really felt like they're two gal pals having Mm. their uh, conversation over drinks and working out their men troubles. Yeah. And like sex in the city was in the 90s. (laughs) Can we move on? It felt like a very dated way of depicting female relationships and female friendship and I want to know like what are Ortegas's relationships like we assume she's queer but that's really just her haircut so I have no idea she is a one-note character I had to look up her name I had to look up her first name I do not know it because I had no reason to learn it she has cute little quips Mm mm-hmm She's really Detmer 2.0 so far because oh, yeah. she has an interesting look and she's a good pilot. And 
everyone loves her and I don't understand why. <laughs> she really needs a lot of help. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, writers, just do it. But I'm concerned they won't because everyone loves her already. It's a real sign of growth that fandom loves a woman of colour with a one-note personality instead of a white man with a one-note personality. Congratulations, fandom. We've come a long way. But I would like the writers to, like, do some work on Ortegas. Like, where is she from? How was she horribly orphaned? What is her deal? What does she want out of life beyond Starship Go Fast? I feel like I have a better handle on Kyle. Yeah. And he is an extra. He's an important extra, but he is not a member of the main cast. Mm. Yeah. I love him and he's adorable, but it's just interesting. We know more about his relationships and how the crew sees him than we do about Erica. Right. And like, one by one, they're sort of going through the new characters and fleshing them out. We know a little bit about Mabenga, even though he was totally out of character this week. We have learned about <laughs> Hammer. And how he reconciles his pacifism with being in Starfleet. Even though he was missing this week. Again. I realise he's a recurring <laughs> character, not a regular. But still, I love him and I would trade Ortegas for, for Hema. Again, he had a big deal. He was important mm. in the previous episode. And then now he is did not get to go have therapy, did not get to go have shore leave, did not just, just not appear. No, I want to know what Hammer does for fun. Also, this is stupid, but I was really distracted in the Hammer Uhura scenes in Memento Mori because the console that he would use if he wasn't injured is so badly designed for anyone, but particularly a blind person. There's no tactile or audio interface for him to use. It's great that they have a blind actor playing a blind character, but where is the accessibility in the rest of the set and the story? I just have questions. I like the amount of time that we've seen him. He feels like an Odo to me where mm. he would get too much attention and I would get tired of it. Sorry, Odo fans. So I'm okay with his... I'm more upset about Mabenga. Yeah. I really feel that Mabenga is being let down because he has had one, mm. <laughs> one moment that was actually about him. And unlike Hammer, he is meant to be a regular Right. And every other thing that he's done has been very superficial, very, I'm a prop, uh, yes. I'm a joke. Like this episode, they, it was, he was just there for people to laugh at his hat and I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. And to, and to mess up and tell Una, that wouldn't happen. Why? No. I, just, I feel like he was the wrong character for all of that. And the mm. only reason it was him was because they're like, he's a regular, we have to do something. Yes. with him so he can be this but it didn't work for him and that's why i want to give him an entire other plot no i agree and it's so weird that we go from his family his daughter being ill and basically existing in a transporter buffer to lol he's going fishing and he has some sort of relationship with some sort of expert that we never actually see and as you say it's treating him as a prop and then we get to Uhura whose job is literally to sit and take shorthand and ask one question and Uhura's had a lot of attention so I understand that they are going to sideline her but <sighs> shorthand is a really valuable skill it's a dying art and as a secretary i would never object to the depiction of a secretary but 
with the history of Uhura as a character and how she was very quickly reduced to hailing frequencies open and the starship sh switchboard operator. Felt like a bad sign. I don't really have a handle on what... I guess Uhura is the new Tilly mm. because she's a cadet and she doesn't have an actual position on the ship yet. But she's on the Enterprise, not the Discovery, so she's being moved around to wherever she's needed, I guess. So she's the new Wesley? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. To me, it works that as a communications cadet, like a future communications officer, she is allowed to sit in on these negotiations because mm. that, is, that would be part of her job. But I wanted a little less hijinks and a little more of... Uhura's perspective. If we had cut the Mabenga stuff entirely or trimmed down Enterprise Bingo, this felt like a bunch of Star Trek episodes smooshed together unsuccessfully. And... Well, well, because there wasn't a plot. Like, no, there wasn't no. one thing that happened. The closest would be the Spock and Dupring stuff, and it wasn't an overarching A plot. So, this episode was like a collection of B and C plots. <laughs> That did not culminate in anything bigger, which is fine. Again, very easy to watch, enjoyable. Hmm. It wasn't about anything. The most damning thing I can say is that my flatmate was like, I'm not really in the mood to watch Strange New Worlds. I don't really care what happens, so let's just watch ER. So we watched ER. Whoops. Yeah. Where are you in ER? I'm very invested in your ER. We just finished season one, so okay. Tag has left Carol at the altar, and her bridesmaids were in really terrible dresses, and Susan's sister has left her with the baby, and Benton's mother has died. Can I say, I really love Benton, and I don't understand why he's on, like, lists of the most annoying characters ever. Benton is, is the best. Don't listen to anybody who hates Benton. He is the best. Uh, also, I believe we're getting close to George Clooney getting a decent haircut. Yeah, that was the second season. This mm. season. Because he looks wrong with that much hair. Anyway, we're going to take a break and watch all the other shows that have accumulated. But yeah, it's great. Love it. So much better than Strange New Worlds. When did Antimenopod turn into an <laughs> ER podcast? Oh my gosh. Bad to say before this episode. <laughs> okay, let's talk about T'Pring and Spock. Okay. I love them. I love them too. You know how I often ship exes? I do. I really want movie-era Spock to Pring, where Ston has died conveniently or something, or he has decided it's logical to move on, and Spock has died but come back, and he and Dupring rebuild their relationship and become a couple. And all the time, Kirk is in the background going, okay, but you remember what happened at your wedding, right? The first time? That was bad? Just, yeah. But Kirk would forgive. Kirk is the one guy who would definitely be like, as long as you're happy, Spock, yeah, yeah. that's what I want for you. He would absolutely tease T'Pring for a really long time. And T'Pring would be like, my God, this guy's worse than Chris. But... <laughs> but she would start calling him Jim and it would be sort of adorable. But also T'Pring and Bones, because Bones carried his Katra. And so he's like a brother to Spock. And Bones has the whole Southern gentleman thing. I just think they would be such good friends. They would be such, like, besties. <laughs> they, would, yes. they would have such a great relationship. Oh my gosh, this goes yeah. back to my thing where Spock asks T'Pring and Ston to help him raise Savick. Uh, spoilers, I'm not much of a Spock-Savick shipper. 
<laughs> oh, because Savik was a child when they met? Yeah, I was into that when I was younger and now I'm older and I go, yes. Yes, another yeah, orphaned, yeah. Mm. rescued by Starfleet. But I also like the idea of Spock coming home to Vulcan and holding out this child to his father and going, look, I found you an orphan. <laughs> that was one of my favorite things about movie Spock is that he, he adopted people mm. the way that his dad did. It was like, yeah. oh, carrying on the family. Yeah. It was, I was, I like it. And Picard was supposed to have gone to Sarek's son's wedding. Right. And well, although I love the theory that it is an aforementioned third <laughs> son of Sarek, because that would be amazing. What if it was Spock and Pring's wedding? Yes, but what if it was Spock and Pring's second oh wedding? Oh my gosh. I love this. I agree with you. I am a huge fan of people who meet when they're young and either don't have a relationship because they're not ready for it or have a relationship that they are also that they're not ready for <laughs> that is yeah, too much yeah. and then they're apart for decades and then come back together again and all of those feelings are still there but they're old enough and they've had all this experience and they've had all this life right and then they can have that relationship that they weren't ready for yes and I love that a justice for Dupring. I love Dupring. I love her job. I it's know. amazing. It is the best. Just everything about Dupring is amazing to me. They have taken a character that fandom has hated mm-hmm. for decades, fifty years, and made her a real person who has so much personality. We've only had two episodes, but I. I'm so absolutely smitten with her. Mm. I loved that moment when Pike gives his speech and then he goes up to her and says, her in Spock's body and says, this was a horrible mistake. I should not have done this to you. And he realized that I put you in this awful position that you were not ready for, that was not at all appropriate. And I'm going to get you out of it now. That was just so heartwarming. It made me feel like they have this like really great relationship, whatever it is, of respect. Yeah, yeah. And there is so much respect between Spock and T'Pring. And as much as he fears that she rejects his human heritage, it's more... You know, Vulcans are very monocultural, and so they're still grappling a couple of hundred years later with the influence of humans and other aliens on their world. And I think T'Pring is clearly not bigoted against humans, but it's a bit like being an immigrant coming to a country like America or or Australia. You're part of that country, but you're also clinging on to the traditions of your home. And T'Pring, as a Vulcan is still clinging on to the traditions of Vulcan. And yet she comes to understand that some of those traditions were hurtful to Spock and they are working so hard to find common ground. And I completely understand why they cannot get married now. I I, I think as young people, even in 10 years' time, they would not have been happy together. But they have so much between them that I absolutely see them getting back together later in life. I didn't expect to come out of this a Spock to Pring shipper, but here we are. I'll be honest, I shipped Spock with everyone. <laughs> Spock is very shippable. It's notable how all of his chemistry seems to be with women. It is true. I don't know if that 
is direction or acting or writing. Maybe it's those of the scene. Like I, I have this line here that Spock has sexually charged scenes with three women. So La'an, T'Pring, and Christine. And obviously all of the scenes with T'Pring are about their relationship. And they have a physical one as well as a mental and emotional one. Yeah. And then Christine, like they're friends. They're just friends in this, but he's sitting and she leaves her date to go sit with him yeah. and have a date. So yes, it's, we're just friends, but it's also, we're friends in a bar pretending to have a date <laughs> so that people leave us alone. And what I mean with Lan is actually in the earlier episode yes. in Mori when they have the mind meld, which is close, physical, mm. like you have to trust that person that you're having the mind meld with in order for it to work correctly. And he saw things that she wasn't even ready to, to see herself. Yes. And she is aware of his sister. That scene was so interesting to me because they had such tremendous sexual chemistry, but they also have this bond as siblings who have lost siblings. And hey. I enjoy that. Does that mean they should be a couple or does that mean they should be in group therapy together? Not sure. Could go either way. but Probably group therapy. Yeah. But, and also could be I lost a big sister, I lost a big brother. Yeah. We can be that for each other. We can find it. Mm. And so there is, you know, other than Tipring, which is clearly supposed to be mm. a romantic sexual relationship. I'm not saying that he's only being written into relationships with women, but they are focused in a very specific way. He didn't have right. a mind meld with Pike. I also want to flag the whole short trek Q&A, which is basically Spock and Una flirting in a turbo lift. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, I totally shipped that after that. Is it the writing? Is it the chemistry between the actors? Is it, like, what is going on here? I also wonder if it's simply that there aren't that many men in Strange New Worlds for Spock to interact mm. with. Like, he had this really fun scene with Hema, where I would totally mm -hmm. buy them as a couple, to be honest. They had a shorthand. But... That's that's sort of it. And Pike is so paternal with Spock. I don't oh, yeah. ship it at all. No. I don't ship it at all either. No. Although I reckon T'Pring would be up for a bit of Pike, Spock. I, sh Her. I ship T'Pring. I know. That would be fine. Alternate version of a mock time where it's Pike <laughs> that T'Pring wants to marry. Fun times. That... Okay, I realise by that point he's already been menageried, but... What if they just went back a week later and fixed him? What if that didn't happen? Yeah, I'm still holding out. Happen. Yeah. What if that didn't happen? He's just in a wheelchair and living his life. Tapring will help him use logic to. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They should kiss with their mouths. I, I keep seeing people being upset that Vulcans like kiss with mouths, but so far Again. all of these Vulcans have technically been like 0.75 of Vulcans. But we've also seen Trip and Topol. And That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Look, sorry, Trip and Paul exist, and therefore your argument is invalid. Don't be mad at me, be mad at Enterprise. Oh, I am. Often. But, you know, the touch telepathy and the sexy hand-holding and all of that totally makes sense. I love it. But also, touching mouths is very pleasurable. So yeah. Look, at the day, we have the same bodies as Vulcans. Yeah, yeah. maybe our organs are, are in slightly different places and our blood is a different color. Mm -hmm but we have the same shell bodies yeah, yeah. and therefore our erogenous zones are going to be similar. That's just the way it is. Like I'm going to guarantee you that those ears are 
extremely sensitive. It's just yeah. Vulcan Umox. And also, if you're a touch telepath, I've done this in fic. Like, you're not like finger touch telepaths. No, no. Your entire body <laughs> is in tune with the other person's body. And so it's like a body meld. Like, that's what sex is. So, what are people complaining about? Your skin is your largest organ. Vulcans are like humans in many ways. We've had no kissing and certainly no sex scenes for so long. <laughs> I'm not going to turn them down. No, no. Please, give us I more I want kissing. more, not less. Sorry. I really want more queerness and more overt queerness, not just a throwaway line. But maybe that will come. I'm so sick of waiting for it as like a consolation prize or an afterthought. But I like the relationships that we have, nonetheless. I want queerness in addition to what we have. Mm. Do we have anything else to say? Oh, I do. Did I say this earlier? They had better have gone back to save that Doberman on the colony planet. <laughs> I, I agree. Thank you. Save the dog. Save the dog. Come on, guys. Save the dog. That's, it's a Starfleet principle... Two. Maybe they went back to save the dog and he is at this moment hanging out in Pike's quarters. Oh, yeah. Also, I really enjoyed that Pike said to the, whatever those aliens were, I, I wish I'd known that you were coming. I would have cooked you up a, <laughs> yeah, a great yeah. meal. Yeah. Like Pike cooking for everyone confirmed, not just his crew, everyone. That's Everybody. how he does care. It's so good. And he definitely needs a dog. 100%. Porthos and number one can't be the only dogs in Star Trek. Also, I really liked his speech at the end where he was like, yeah, joining the Federation is a risk and you might not consider the rewards worth it and you do give something up, whether that's some level of security from the Romulans and Klingons or the sovereignty of making your own decisions without input from anyone else. I really love that scene. Pike's speeches in Memento Mori didn't really work for me because they were a bit generic, but his speech here was specific and really meaningful. He's a good captain, I gotta say. Yeah. I've been resisting Pike is best captain, but he, he did a lot of really good things in these two episodes in that he was treating La'an with respect, but also making sure that she wasn't the only voice. Like, he completely trusted her, yes. but he also was making sure that there were two sides to the story, or there was more to it. The level of trust and respect, mm. while also caring about her, like, emotionally, <laughs> was just really breathtaking. <laughs> and strange, strange for all of the, <laughs> the other captains. I was going to say, the captain I would most like to serve under is Michael, but I think she has learned about captaincy from Pike, and it's just mm -hmm. that the inspirational speeches from him don't work as well for me, whereas I think Michael has the same care and love for everyone. Don't know if she can cook, but she can learn, and mm -hmm. her speeches can be a little more specific. Mm-hmm. But, like, if I found myself on the Enterprise under Pike, clearly something has gone terribly wrong in my life, but I wouldn't be begging for a transfer right away. I definitely wouldn't be there. No. I want to work for Tapring and her helping the prisoners. 100%. I want that. After all of our rants about the Vulcan criminal justice system I know. in Discovery, in the Vulcan criminal justice system, the people are represented by two... No. How does it go? You know what I mean. <laughs> Separate but equal. <laughs> <laughs> Separate but equally important. 
two separately but equally important? Oh, I don't know. The, the point is, Tapring is better than Law and Order. You heard it here first. Yes. And you said it, I can put my chung chungs in. Excellent. Thank you. Where is Katrina Cornwell right now? She's definitely relaxing on rebuilt Starbase One. Oh, 100%. Now, she is not the type of person who loves camping. <laughs> so uh, no. she's not going to be out there fishing and doing all of that. But I can imagine her reading a book in a bikini the way Picard does. Yes. My theory is that she saw the new Admiral's uniforms coming down the pipeline, saw how ill-fitting they are, and decided that faking her death was better than having to deal with those. Why she didn't just resign? Not clear. But she is on a quiet planet somewhere that's not subject to raiders, and she is going to therapy regularly and has a dog. Very good. A boy. Very collie. good. Thank you for listening to AntimatterPod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram at AntimatterPod. Write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. And if you like us, please read re- <laughs> please leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts the more reviews the easier it is for new listeners to find us and recommend us to your friends join us in another two weeks when we will be discussing the next episodes of strange new worlds yay i know i said this last time but even when i don't love the episodes i really enjoy talking about them with you i really enjoyed it i have a lot of fun